are in the middle of a series called Relatable. Now, Relatable is this idea, or this whole series is about how do we, as Jesus followers, how do we develop relationships in our lives and around us that are meaningful, that are full, and that are significant. It's not really an easy thing to do, but over the past few weeks, we've been digging into this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, right? And in this passage, Paul, who's a Jesus follower, is writing to another group of Jesus followers who are struggling with what does it mean to relate to one another. And he says to him, he says, look, I'm going to give you some, some of the secrets about what it means to have these deep, meaningful relationships in your life. Now, the first week we talked about that it all starts, it all starts with an, a restoration of our relationship with God. In other words, the vertical has to be fixed before any of the horizontal can be examined. And so Paul wanted us to, to understand that once we fix that relationship, actually once God through Jesus fixed that relationship for us, we then have the ability to move out and to affect the other relationships around us. You see, because without grace that's been given to us, how could we possibly give grace to somebody else, right? Think about that for just a second. If you had never had grace exhibited to you or mercy exhibited to you, it would be really hard to turn and exhibit grace and mercy to somebody else. But that is foundational in developing deep and meaningful and significant relationships. Because last week we learned that conflict happens, right? We're going to have conflict with people because people are going to see things differently than us. They're going to have different opinions than us. Um, you know, and my wife is always right. I'm never right on those sort of things. But conflict is going to happen. It's going to happen. And what we saw last week is Paul said, listen, when conflict happens, it's okay to fight. It's okay to get angry, but in your anger, do not sin. You know, when we look at the Old Testament, one of the things that I think baffles people all the time is, is that they see a God who gets angry over and over and over again at the things that people are doing around him because he has a relationship with them, and he gets mad <coughs> about how it is that they're treating him. But he doesn't ever sin in that. Not only did God get angry, in the last week of his life, Jesus has a moment. He walks into the church, and he gets mad. He gets mad about what he sees. In fact, he flips over tables, and he drives out these money changers that are there in the room. And he's like, this is not right. And so we see this picture of God who gets angry. But in his anger, he still doesn't sin. It's so big. <clears throat> and it was a great message last week. You should probably go back and listen to it better then than what I'm trying to do right now on a recap of that. Anyways, moving on. Today we're going to go to verse 28 um, in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And it says this. It says, anybody who has been stealing must steal no longer. Instead, they should work doing something useful with their own hands. That they may have something to share with those in need. Let's pray.
God, usually in these prayers, I'm praying for us to be able to hear and understand, and I, I pray that we would still be able to do that in the midst of tickling in the back of the throat. Pray for your strength as we dig into this message about what it is that Paul was saying here in this passage. God, I pray that you would help us to connect these dots into our own lives because I think it's something that's incredibly powerful. We give you all of the glory and all of the honor in your name. Amen. Well, one of the things I love about our church, in fact, I'm so glad that he brought it up earlier, um, but our community groups are one of my favorite things about our church. Now, our community groups are the place where um, we, as groups of people, get a chance to look at to learn and to live out what the Bible says, right? It's a, it's a place where we get to practice what's being preached, if you will. <coughs> In these groups, most weeks when they get together, they get a chance to look at the material that I'm going to be preaching before it's ever even been preached. And you say, well, that's really interesting. Why would you possibly do that? And the reason is, is that we have a foundational belief, and we believe that the same Holy Spirit that resides in me resides in every other person who is a Jesus follower. And so the ability to go and look at what the Bible tells and says and to pull out truth out of it, we believe that every person has the ability to do that because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of my favorite things is, is when a group has come in and they've looked at the passage and we get done with the message and they're like, man, we could have preached that message for you. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. They're like, we got all of those points in our community group. We figured out everything that you were going to say. And I'm like, that's the point. And then there are weeks like this passage that are a little bit more difficult of a passage <clears throat> and those same groups come to me and they go, we just want to see what you're going to do with this passage this week. We talked about it, and we have some ideas on it, but we want to see what you're going to say about it now that we've looked at it. And I love that too. And so this passage, if you look at it, and you just looked at it for the very first time, maybe you weren't in a community group this week, encourage you to find one and get involved in one, but maybe you weren't and you're saying, well, it doesn't look that difficult. It seems pretty easy, right? It says, don't steal, right? It says, do work, and because I'm, I like alliteration, right, the last one would be that you should, um, you should do things for those who are in need, right? You should share with somebody that's in need. In fact, what I wrote in my notes was definitely share with those in need. I got my three Ds, right? So do this, don't do this, and definitely share. Now, no one, no one wants to be in any sort of relationship, not even a marriage relationship, with somebody who is stealing from them right? That would be a, a really terrible relationship. You'd be like, that's awful. It wouldn't seem like that would last very long. And generally, when we get into a relationship with somebody, we like somebody who's working. For all of my middle school, high school, and college kids that are in the room, we like people who are working, all right? This is, that's, that's a good thing. Ladies, they look for somebody who has a job that they're going to have a relationship with. Ladies, you should look for somebody who has a job to have a relationship with. 
Let's make sure we cover this on both sides of that. <coughs> and someone who shares with the poor, that seems like a very desirable thing too, right? That's a nice quality trait that's there. And so this might seem like it's really easy, just put a bow on it, and, and this is really pretty good, but I think that there's a deeper principle that's at play here about what Paul is talking about. I think there's one word that one overall principle in all three of these things that Paul is aiming at to the group of people that he's talking to. I think Paul is using these things as a cultural example of honor, of honor. And he's setting forth a principle of honor inside of this passage. In other words, you have to have honor inside of your relationships. Now, seven, several months ago, actually, it was at Christmas time, we did a series that was called um, The Ex Dilemma, right? And in The Ex Dilemma, we looked at all of these different people that were involved in the Christmas story, and we talked about the different dilemmas that they faced inside of the story. And one guy that we looked at, his name was Joseph, Jesus's future dad, and he has this massive dilemma when he finds out that he's going to be the father of the son of God, right? And all of a sudden, he has this huge decision to make inside of the text. And as we looked at that, we talked about this idea of an honor and shame culture. It's not what we have here in America. It's very different for us. And so I, if you were not here then, if you're new in the room since then, I'm just going to encourage you, go back and go listen to Joseph's story <coughs> and the dilemma that he faced because of the honor and shame culture that he existed in, and know that a lot of those same principles come to play here, but here's the main one that I want you to, to see, is that in essence, honor, and an honor and shame community is a finite commodity. There's only so much of it to go around, right? And it's something that is earned, and because of that, everybody, everybody in that culture desires honor. And honor drives them towards what it is that they're trying to do and achieve. So Paul lists an action to start the section off that is dishonorable. Stealing. Being a thief. Taking something that doesn't belong to you. And then he follows it up with this action of going to work. Which is an honorable thing. And then he follows that up with another honorable action of giving honor to somebody else. Elevating them, giving to their needs, helping to meet whatever it is that they were doing. So you have this idea of something that brings dishonor. Then you have something that brings honor to yourself. And then you have really this idea of something that brings honor to somebody else. Now the word honor is a very interesting word in the Bible. Now Paul um, is a master of sending people back to the Old Testament because he was a, a Pharisee and a scribe before he became a Jesus follower. In other words, he knew the Old Testament really, really well. And so when he would talk or write letters to the, to the, the different Jesus followers, he used a lot of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the idea of honor, um, it came from this, this word kabod. Right, and there's a couple different ways that it shows up, kabod, kavod, kabed. Um, all of them have the same idea. And it means to give weight to something. 
Now, when we think about the word honor, we don't usually think about it being a weighty thing, something that is giving weight to something. But I, wanna, I want you to think about it like this. I want you to think about it like the justice scale, right? We've got a picture of it right back here, but it's the one that, that is balanced, right? And if you um, put something in this side and you want to know how much it's worth or what is equal to this, then you balance out the scale on the other side. And that's how you know that the two things are equal and equivalent. <clears throat> and so I want you to imagine, using that sort of a scale, that a person sits over here on this side of the scale, and their honor sits on the other side. And if you were to put more weight on a person over here, what you would do is you would raise their honor. See how that works? So in honoring somebody, you were giving more weight to them, and it would raise the amount of honor that they had. Now, interestingly, in the Old Testament, the word kalel, right, is the opposite of um, kaved or kebab, kebab, kebed, sorry. I mean, let's go eat a kebab together, right? Sometimes, you, you know, when you're working with Hebrew, just weird, weird things come out. But kalel means the opposite, right? It's often translated to curse, right, or to dishonor in the Old Testament, but it literally means to lighten. And so it's the opposite. So instead of adding weight so that somebody's honor would go up, you actually are taking away from somebody and their honor would go down because that's how the scale works. So stealing. Stealing was a dishonorable activity, not because it mattered why you were doing it. Some of these people that Paul was talking to, they were stealing as a, a way to make ends meet, right? They had a trade that only ran for a certain season of the year, and in the off-season, they had to figure out how to feed their families, and when it would come down to it, they would steal in order to feed their families. <coughs> it doesn't seem like a very dishonorable thing to have to do that to feed your family. We would say, oh, it seems like a ends justifies the means sort of a thing. But in this culture, here's why it mattered. It's stealing is always taking something from somebody. And so if you are lightening away from somebody, taking anything away from somebody else, then you are dishonoring them. And by dishonoring them, you are dishonoring yourself. And so Paul is saying, listen, don't do that. But the opposing act, the opposing act of getting yourself your own job would bring honor to your own name. And then moreover, it was an honorable act because you were honoring somebody else when you could meet the needs of somebody. In fact, it was like double honor being heaped upon yourself because you honored somebody else you raise their honor and their value because you met their needs. And in doing so, it raises your own honor as well. And so Paul says, this is incredibly important. Now, you may say, well, okay, I understand how this honor thing is working, but why, why is this so important? Well, I tell you what, let me give you uh, another um, example. A good friend of mine, his name is Vance Pittman. He has a saying that he says often. He says, the rails of the kingdom of God run on relationship. The rails of the kingdom of God run on relationship. 
So I'm going to just take his idea for just a second, and we're going to use an illustration of a train. Now, before I jump into this illustration of a train, is anybody about to ride a train in the next couple of weeks? Okay, good. I can make you incredibly nervous about trains in just a second. So my pastor from our sending church, First Baptist Church, Edmond, Oklahoma, um, he was a train conductor, a railroad engineer for many years before um, he met Jesus and became a Jesus follower. And so um, we used to always question him. I was like, that's so cool. That's such an interesting job. I was like, so what did, what did you do? And one day <coughs> he was describing to us the main um, facet of what his job as a railroad engineer was. Now, I would think that you would primarily be like building railroad cars and like cool engines and like testing them out. And he was like, no, most of the time he said, I was out on a one-man cart um, running the rails. And he's like, here's what we were doing when we were running the rails, is we were inspecting all of the rails for two things. Two things that could derail a train. The first one was any sort of debris that was on the track. Because even though these trains are really big, he said all it takes is something getting caught up in the wheels to knock a wheel off. And once one wheel is off of one of the two rails, the train will hop off the tracks. I was like, well, that doesn't sound very good. And so then he said, here's the second thing that we were looking for. He said, we were looking for what they called a hot spot in the track. And I don't mean like Wi-Fi for those of you who are like, oh, look at that. Trains have Wi-Fi. They might. I don't know. But that's not what he was talking about. Here's what he meant by a hot spot. The train rails are made of metal. And sometimes, sometimes there would be a tree that would be growing up and over, and it would cast shade onto the rail. But through the tree, there would be spots, sometimes where like giant limbs had fallen out. And those spots would have sun that would be streaming straight through, and it would heat up a section of the rail, while the other rest of the section remained cool. And when it did that, that small section would begin to expand because what's hot expands and what's cold does not. And as this small section would expand, it would have to expand somewhere. And so it would either expand out to a side or would make a hump in the track. <coughs> and there were lots of different ways that these sorts of things could happen. Some of them were as easy as there was a pool of water in a spot on the track and the sun would work through the water like a magnifying glass heating that spot and causing the same sort of an effect and he said our primary job was to look for those two things so that we could keep the train on the tracks now when you think about how easy it is for those things to happen you realize how difficult of a job that might be well to go back to what my friend Vance Pittman said about the rails of the kingdom of God run on relationship. Here's what he was saying. He's saying Jesus, who was all about the kingdom of God, was teaching us that it all comes down to two types of relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Those are the two rails. And honor, honor is the perfect climate for relationships it's not too hot it's not too cold 
It doesn't heat up in one spot and not in another. Now, if you don't offer honor to everybody, it can do that and can have that effect. <laughs> in fact, honor clears away all of the extra from the tracks. And honor is the culture of the kingdom of God. Now, in another letter, Paul wrote to um, some Jesus followers that were in Rome, and he said this. He said, I want you to outdo one another in showing honor. I want you to outdo one another in showing honor. What do you think our lives would look like if we worked to live that out in our relationships? If in my marriage, the contest was to see who could honor the other more, what would happen? If I viewed that, you know what, I'm doing the dishes, not because I have to do the dishes, but doing the dishes honors my wife and lets her know that I think that she's more important than her having to get down and scrub the dishes. And so that's a chalk one up for me. I'm going to outdo her in that honor category. And she goes, man, you know what, he just did the dishes. That jerk can't believe it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to outdo what he just did for me. So I'm going to do his laundry. And she doesn't view it as a chore, but instead she views it as a way to honor me. Well, I can't believe she's just done that. How could she go off and do my laundry like that? You know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to go scrub the toilets. (sighs) It's come down to this. But could you imagine what our relationships begin to look like if we begin to have a framework of outdoing each other with honor? If that's what our scorecards were, is saying to whoever we're in a relationship with, I'm one up on you right now. For that person to be like, I know it. I can't wait to figure out how to honor you next. Any of you looking to be in that sort of relationship, I'm open for more honoring relationships. But like many things about the kingdom of God, honor is a very unnatural thing for us to do. That thought process that I just walked through is not a natural thought process for any one of us in this room. It has to be a learned process. You know what, though? I love God's wisdom. Because God understood that that was something that we had to learn. We had to learn how to honor each other. And I think honor is best honed at home. I think it's best honed at home. In fact, God places this word, honor, right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number five, right? It's Exodus 20, verse 12, and it says this. It says, honor your father and your mother. And some of you know this, that it's the only one of the commandments that comes with a promise attached to it. And it says, if you do this, that your days would be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So the secret to the promise is that when you learn to honor mom and dad, it develops a culture of honor that prevents many, many of the things that happen in commandments 6 through 10, right? Commandment 6 says, don't kill. 
Well, if you're honoring and you know how to honor, guess what you're not going to do? Commandment 7 says don't steal. If you're honoring, guess what you're not going to do? It says don't tell a lie. It says don't covet or want what it is that your neighbor has. All of these things, if we understand what honor is and have practiced up in giving honor to somebody, we're not going to break those. And I love that God put this right here in the middle. Six through ten is all about our relationships with other people. One through four are all about our relationships with God. And he says, look, your relationship with me all hinges on honor as well. And if mom and dad, if they teach how to honor at home, it'll help our relationship with God and it helps our relationship with others. It's the hinge point of everything that God did in the Ten Commandments because God knew and understood. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but it's, the, it's something that we teach. And I love Craig Rochelle. I think you've heard me quote him a couple different times. And, and he says this. He says, Respect is what people earn. Honor is a gift that you give away freely. You know, sometimes when it comes to honor, we think, well, that person didn't earn any honor. And so I'm not going to give them any honor because they haven't earned it. And God says, no, no, no. You're thinking about respect for a second. Maybe they haven't earned your respect, and that's okay. But he says, no matter what it is that's going on with your mom and dad, he says, there are no clarifying clauses that are given about when you can or should not honor your mother and your father. He doesn't say, honor mom and dad if they're good people. He doesn't say, honor mom and dad when you feel like it. There are no qualifiers to honoring mom and dad. Why? Because God understood that honor is a gift that is given. It's something that we can freely give away, not something that is earned, which is respect. Now, I know it sounds weird to say, hey, I'm going to teach my kids to give me a gift. I'm going to teach my kids to, to give me a gift, but I, I read a story this week. It was about a couple that was newly married. And the mom uh, of this couple, <coughs> she had just come down with Lou Gehrig's disease. So the couple talked and agreed to invite the mom to come live with them in their new marriage. Not without, of course, the exceptions and the objections that were raised by the new husband. And as they continued on in their new marriage, it wasn't long, a few months, maybe a year or so down the line, that the, the shaking and the tremors and the weakness began to show up in the mom. And she couldn't hold things right, and because of all of the shaking and everything, she began to, to spill things all over the table, Finally, the, the husband just got fed up with having to clean over and over again for the mom. And they had a, a small corner in the kitchen that had concrete flooring. And so the husband decided to move the mom over to sit in this area with the concrete flooring so that whatever mess that she made was easier to clean up. And so... For the next while, off to the side, the mom 
ate by herself. The couple were blessed with an incredible baby boy. And they continued to eat, and the boy grew, and the mom continued to deteriorate with this awful disease. And a couple of years later, no longer was there enough strength to hold the utensils and the bowl for eating from, and without, well, you understand what's about to happen. She dropped the plate and the bowl. It happened a couple of times, and on a concrete floor, nothing survives. So the husband got furious. Here it was, the the things that they had gotten at their wedding are now being destroyed by this mom who's invaded their lives, and why does this have to happen? And so he goes out to the to the woodshed, and he begins to build a trough. And he brings in this trough so, and says, here, you can eat out of this. This is indestructible, and this will have more room for you so that you can shake and, and drop things back in it. It'll be fine. This is for you. And so she began to eat out of the trough. A little bit more time passed. And the young son, the baby, has grown. He's three and a half, four years old now, sitting over in the corner. And he's playing and building something. And the dad looks down and he's like, oh, that's so cool. What, what, is, he, what is he building? And so he says to him, he says, son, what are you, you building? He says, daddy, I, I'm building a trough for you and mommy so that one day when you get old, I can give it to you. That next night, mom was back at the table, being honored like she should have been from the very beginning. Because you see, we teach our kids about honor. And when we teach our kids about honor, It helps our kids to relate not only to each other, but also to our Heavenly Father. I want to say it one more way. Paul Paul wrote down, don't steal. Instead, find something honorable to do and strive to give away to all of those in need. But here's really what honor becomes a question of. Honor becomes a question of, Am I a consumer or am I a contributor? Am I a consumer or am I a contributor? In other words, am I taking away from and stealing from other people and just using whatever it is I can from them? Or instead, am I giving all that I can in those relationships around me? Am I giving them more value that's honor right that's honor i'm a big fan of a guy named peter peter's the guy who hung out with jesus for three years peter's the guy who walked on water peter's the guy who when jesus was on trial he denied knowing jesus but peter's also the guy 
that when Jesus came back to life, he got to have breakfast on the beach with him. And Peter wrote a, wrote a book, and it says this in the book. It says, show honor to everyone. Love the family of believers and fear God. Peter and Paul both understood the same thing. The culture of the kingdom of God is based on honor. If you want to have significant, meaningful, deep relationships in your life, you've got to learn how to honor. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. A day where we are honoring our moms and our learning about that and thinking about and talking about what that looks like in our lives. God, I'm so thankful that you, the God who deserves all honor and all glory and all praise, God, you honored me. You honored me by sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. A grace and a mercy that was extended that I did not deserve. God, I pray that you would help me to live out what Paul said about outdoing others with honor. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.